0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Thinking Christian. This is the Thinking Christian Podcast. I am your host, Dan Kramer, and I want to thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to know more about me or this podcast, just go to my website, type in The Thinking Christian, that's all one word, thethinkingchristian.us. That will lead you to my site. There, you uh, can find information about the podcast. You can find previously released podcasts. You can find articles that I've written on other subjects. Uh, you can find some information about this podcast, about me, and you can even subscribe to the podcast right from the website. There's a, on the home page. Type in your email address, your name, hit submit, and when a new podcast is released you will get noticed right away or you can subscribe to this podcast just by going to stitcher google play uh, apple itunes or android or really any uh podcasting app that you download you can search for the thinking christian podcast there find it and subscribe right through there so that when new podcast is released it'll be downloaded right to your device if any of that interests you knock yourself out (laughs) Okay, Let's get into today's subject. I move forward with uh, a little bit of trepidation today, not because I don't have an opinion or not because I'm not confident in my opinion about today's topic. I am a little hesitant because uh, I have discovered over time past that when I share my opinion on this subject, I get a lot of flack. I don't know why, but for some reason... When the origin of Satan comes up, and I share what I believe the Scripture teaches, or at least what it doesn't teach, um, it seems to upset people. And I don't get—I don't get it. I, I really don't get it. And so I—I—I I, I, I did receive a question from somebody about this, and so I thought, okay, I'll respond. No one will like it, but I'll respond um and uh, you know, and if you don't like it again, you, you're welcome to to uh weigh in on my website or the podcast or send me an email or something like that And I do expect some replies on this because what I'm going to tell you today uh, is probably very different than what you heard. In Sunday school or from your grandmother, and I'm not dissing anybody's grandmother today. I guess maybe that's it. Don't take this personally. I'm just telling you what I think and see and feel on this topic. But let me give you a little bit of background uh, before we get into it. Up until about 2002, uh, I always believed that Satan's origins could be traced to uh, some passages in the scripture, which I believe described him as an angel created by God in heaven. A good angel, a perfect angel, a beautiful angel. I I was told that he was an angel in charge of music, and um, he one day decided that he was going to rebel against God. And he took a third of the angels with him. There was a war. He was kicked out, and now he's the devil. He was once an angel. Now he's the devil, and that's what I always believed because that's what I was told, and I saw the scriptures in the Bible that seemed to suggest that. And then, on around 2002, I was listening to uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers, a man by the name of Steve Gregg. Uh, he um, he's at thenarrowpath.com. Highly recommend you check out his site and his resources. I don't know what the lecture was. He was giving a lecture, and this topic came up, and I was listening to it, and he suggested another way of understanding the Scripture, which I had never heard before. I took a look at it, and I had to agree. I mean, I, I'm uh, i not bound to any understanding of the Scripture based on an emotional attachment. I'll go where the evidence takes me, or the lack of evidence takes me. And in this case, I believe there's a lack of evidence of the conventional view, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But well, before we do that, um, let me, um, me kind of give you a, a, a quick lesson in, in two very, very fancy words. Uh, one word is called exegesis, and it's that it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. It's just exegesis and eisegesis. These are two $5 fancy words that uh, any probably first-year Bible student would or should recognize. Exegesis is what we want to do when we come to the Scriptures. We want to take out of the Bible what it says. We want it to pull its message from the Scriptures, from the pages, and understand it. That's called exegesis. That's what we want to do, to take out. Its opposite is eisegesis. This is what we want to avoid, and that is putting into the Scripture what we think it says. Um, because what we think it says could be wrong. And we don't want to do that. We want to take out from it what we believe it says. Now, Isaiah Jesus is very, very easy to do. It's very easy to put into the scripture something that we believe to be true. Uh, to give you a good example of this, uh, we just had Christmas a few weeks ago, and at Christmas time, uh, we did actually at our church where we're at, where I attend, we sang and we sing every year the hymn or the the carol "We Three Kings of Orient Are." Now, uh, most I would say Christians understand that. Uh, the the three kings or the three magi that we sing about aren't numbered in the Bible. In other words, the Bible never says, and this is actually in Luke's gospel, the Bible never said, Luke never tells us how many magi came to see Jesus. He, num- he doesn't number it. Uh, we are told that there are uh, three gifts, but we're not told how many magi. Did I say Luke? I didn't mean Luke. Matthew. It's in Matthew's gospel. Matthew and Luke tell us the Christmas story, and Matthew includes the bit about the wise men. In any event, Matthew does not tell us that there were three wise men. He just tells us that there were three gifts given, and that the magi from the east came to worship Jesus. But over time, um, the idea that there were three has um, really become popular, and so popular that we actually sing about the three men. And this is a good example of eisegesis and exegesis. Uh, to exegete the passage, all that we would know is that there were wise men, plural, from the East who came to worship Jesus. How many, we don't know. Whether There were there had to be a minimum of two to be plural, but there could have been 200 as far as we know. There could have been six. There could have been three. We we don't know how many there were, but to say that there are three would be to, what we call eisegesis. It would be to put into the Bible something the Bible does not say. It may be right, but it may be wrong. And if your interest is in being right, as is mine, we have to be cautious on what we say that the Bible says. All right, so that's just a brief intro, a brief lesson before we get into the origin of Satan. Okay, um, there are four passages of scripture that are generally used to prove, to demonstrate that Satan was once an angel Uh, An angel of light, an angel in heaven, an angel who played instruments or something like that, and that he fell. He decided that he would rebel against God. Those four passages are found in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Luke chapter 10, and Revelation chapter 12. These are the only four passages that I know of that are used to demonstrate this point. And I'm going to take a look at those. Uh, And I'm going to challenge the conventional view. I'm not saying the conventional view is wrong. I'm just going to challenge it, and I want you to think. Are we doing eisegesis or exegesis? Are we reading what the Bible says, or are we going with what grandma told me a long time ago, or my Sunday school teacher said, or my pastor said? Um, I think we need to know what the Bible said. So let's go to Luke chapter 14 first, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses from, the, uh, verses from the New King James Version, starting with verse 12, which reads, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. That through, that's through verse 14. Now you might be thinking, okay, Dane, uh, this is going to be tough for you because it's pretty obvious, as I just heard you read that, that this is about Satan um, uh, deciding to uh, to be like God, and I agree it might seem like that, but i, I again i 'm just going to challenge you to think with me as we read this passage. first of all, I want to point out to you that uh, uh, Isaiah chapter fourteen if we scroll, scroll back just a few verses um, we in verse three and four we find that God is telling Isaiah the prophet. To speak this proverb or this oracle or this saying against the king of Babylon—that's verse four. Take this up against the king of Babylon, and then Isaiah begins to speak against the king of Babylon. Now, the king of Babylon was a was a contemporary to Israel in, in that day, and so um, Isaiah began to speak to him. Now, if depending on what kind of Bible you're looking at, some um, some typesetters have. Now, the king of Babylon was a, was a contemporary to Israel in, in that day. And so um, Isaiah began to speak to him. Now, if depending on what kind of Bible you're looking at, some um, some typesetters have, starting with about halfway through verse 4, have margined the passage a little bit. They, they set it apart. And this is done to show often that what you're reading is poetry. Um, there are ways that... Uh, scholars understand that a writer is now writing in Hebrew poetry. And so they're telling you, we recognize this as poetry. So we're going to indent the passage a little bit. We're going to set it off to show you that this is poetic. And so we know now that as Isaiah begins to speak against the king of Babylon, he is speaking in sort of a poetic form. Now, uh, so what about this passage in verse 12, which is part of this, this oracle against the king of Babylon? That's what the Bible said. This is to be, to be spoken to the king of Babylon. And it says, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. And you might say, well, there it becomes rather obvious. He's not speaking only to the king of Babylon here, but he's actually talking to Satan. Well, the problem with that is the word Lucifer. For some reason, the King James and the New King James translations, and I think they're probably about the only ones who do it, they they retained the the Hebrew, or sort sure, of the I should say the Greek equivalent, uh, the English equivalent of the uh, Hebrew word, and just called it Lucifer. Most all morning, or most all modern uh, render it slightly different. For example, in the NIV. Uh, A very popular uh, translation in verse 12. He calls him Morning Star or Son of Dawn. Um, and I think there's a lot of translations that say sort of like the same thing, bearer of light or son of the morning or morning star. They don't call him Lucifer. Lucifer is just, again, the, the English equivalent of the Hebrew word. They, the King James and the New King James did not actually translate the word but left it in its English form probably revealing their bias about that passage but again most modern bibles don't even use the name lucifer they call him uh, morning star or something like that which is in, interesting because jesus is also referred to the morning as the morning star in the book of revelation it's a term that's used uh, for uh royalty uh it's a t- uh, term used for someone who is very great um so, But you might say, well, wait a second, I, I still think he's talking about Satan here, or, yeah, talking to Satan here. Well, I guess if you believe that he is, the question is, how do you know that he is? If the Bible tells us in verse 4 that this proverb or this oracle is against the king of Babylon, how would you know that halfway through the oracle, halfway through the saying, suddenly Isaiah is speaking to Satan. How would you know that? what tells you that and if you, again, if you rely on the word Lucifer, all you 're relying on is an untranslated word which is no longer used in the other translations it's not it 's not used in fact, we get the name Lucifer" for Satan from this very passage it's it's kind of a backwards way of looking at it. We assume this passage is about Satan, then we assume the name Lucifer is Satan's name, therefore this becomes to us a passage about Satan. Circular reasoning, and it doesn't fit, we can't do it that way. We have to see what the passage says, and then decide on what it's about. Um, If you come to this passage having been taught that Satan had said in his heart that he would exalt himself above God, well, then you would say, well, this is the passage. This is the passage that I've been taught. But what if you haven't been taught that? What if you come to this passage with a, a blank slate, with a, with a clean mind, with just a, a willingness to know what the passage says? I think if you do that and you read this passage, you would reach the conclusion that Isaiah is talking to the king of Babylon. And there's no reason, in my opinion, to suspect that he's speaking to someone else. Now, you may say, but maybe he is talking to the king of Babylon and double meaning to it. Maybe he's talking to the king of Babylon, but also we can see in there that there is a a description of Satan's fall from heaven. Well, maybe there is. I'm not saying that there's not. I'm only asking the question, how would we know? If we come to this passage without the assumption, how would we know that this is about Satan? And I'm going to suggest to you that there is no other way. There is no way to know that because Isaiah, at no point in this passage, tells us, oh, by the way, I'm really talking about Satan, or this is also about someone else. He never says that. If Isaiah were going to make sure we understood that this passage is about the king of Babylon, he wouldn't have done anything different than he already did. He said, this is to be spoken to the king of Babylon. But I think if he's going to try to convey to us an understanding that this is about Satan, he probably should have said so. And I don't see where he does. Again, we we often start with the idea that this is a story of Satan because he fell from heaven. And if we start with that idea, we'll reach that conclusion. Sort of like if we start with the idea that there were three magi that visited Jesus, well, we'll reach that conclusion when we read the passage. But I'm interested in doing exegesis. I want to know what the passage says. I don't want to know what someone else says the passage says. All right, let me take a look at a couple of more passages. Uh, the next one is Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 13 or let's say verse partway through verse 12 where it reads, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Um, That's just a section of it. Now, again, we're told by those who believe so that this is about Satan, that he was the seal of perfection. He was full of wisdom, and he was perfect in beauty. And I, was, I was taught that since I was little, that Satan was once a very beautiful angel covered with all of these diamonds, um, the workmanship of his timbrels and pipes. And this is where I was told that he was in charge of music, which I'm not really sure is the correct translation of those verses, but this is what I was taught. And that this is about Satan. Now, again, if you start out by thinking, well, this, you know, Satan was beautiful. He was covered with all these diamonds. He was in charge of the music and so on and so forth. Then when you come to this passage, you might say, well, okay, here, here, this is, this is what tells me that. But what if we start with a blank slate? What if we start with just wanting to read what the passage says? Well, if we do that and we back it up just a verse or two, verse 12 of that passage, it says, son of man, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. All right. So what follows is a lamentation, is an oracle, is a proverb, is a saying from Ezekiel the prophet to the king of Tyre. Now, if that were the case, I mean and that is the case, there's no reason to believe that Ezekiel is talking about anyone else but the king of Tyre. And the whole the whole chapter actually is is a proverb. Well, at least it starts off with a, as a proverb against the king of Tyre, and and verse two it says, "You are a man and not a god." So it's very clear, very clear in this passage, that is not talking to any kind of angelic being, but a man. So you are a man, and so as you read this passage, I think the conclusion that we would have to draw is this is a poetic lamentation, a poetic oracle. Against the king of Tyre. Now, if you want to believe that it's also against Satan, that's, you're welcome to. I'm not trying to stop you in, in, in believing something, and you're certainly welcome to. I'm just asking how do we know that it's really about Satan as well? What's our, what's our signal? What tells us? What, what do we look for in this passage that tells us this has a double meaning, if it does at all? And and I'm not really sure. And I've heard it said. Well, it says later in the passage that you were in the you were in the garden of God. You were in Eden. And and if if this is really against the King of Tyre, he was not in Eden. And the only ones were who in who were in the garden were uh, God and and Adam and Eve, and of course Satan. And therefore, this has to be about Satan because the King of Tyre was not in Eden. Well, it is true that the King of Tyre was not in Eden. But we have to remember this is po- poetry. I mean, when something is expressed in poetry, we have to be cautious as to how literal to take it. And what's interesting is in just a few chapters later, in Ezekiel chapter 31, Ezekiel is speaking to the king of Egypt, and he he begins to talk about Assyria, and he says that Assyria was in the the garden of God. It was like he was like a tree, or Assyria was a tree in the garden of God. And yet Assyria was not in the Garden of God, and no one reads Ezekiel chapter 31, or at least no one that I know of, and says, well, this is also about Satan. Um, And so there's there's no reason to believe that Ezekiel is using anything else but poetic form to talk to the king of Tyre in Ezekiel chapter 28. And so as I read this passage, I I see nothing compelling to believe that this is about Satan. Now, the next passage is uh, Luke chapter 10 that I want to talk about, and I think we can dispense with this rather rapidly. In Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, um, we have a description of the disciples returning to Jesus after leaving on a short-term missionship trip. He sent them out, and he waited for their return. And when they came back, they were amazed, and they told Jesus in verse 17, they said, "'Even the demons are subject to us in your name.'" Uh, I mean, they apparently were able to successfully perform exorcisms, cast demons out of people, and it surprised even them. They, they, they couldn't believe that in the name of Jesus they were capable of doing this. So they came back to Jesus and said, wow, I mean, even the demons were subject to us. And Jesus' response in verse 18, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, some people have used this verse to support the notion that Satan was once an angelic being created by God and performed. Perfection and beauty, and that he was cast out of heaven uh, when he uh, you know tried to usurp the authority of God, uh, the problem with that are manyfold first of all um, this is, this passage says nothing about Satan being an angel, it says nothing about him being perfect and beautiful, and it says nothing about him being in charge of music, it says nothing about him aspiring to be um, uh, the the chief God it says none of those things. It just says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. But what did Jesus mean when he said that? Well, I think the context really could dictate a lot about this. Um, when they returned, when the disciples, the 70 disciples, not just 12, but when the 70 returned uh, from this mission trip... They were surprised and said, wow, even the demons were subject to him. Now, if Jesus' response is to tell them about the origin of Satan at this juncture, we would have a real um, disconnect, in my opinion, because they didn't ask him about Satan's origins. um, And for him to respond with a story about Satan's origins almost is – I mean, not almost is, but is completely disconnected to what they're telling him. They're saying, wow. We, uh, Satan was subject to us and so if he were to tell them about Satan's origins here I mean it's just it's just a disconnect I mean it, it doesn't make sense it's, it's out of context but what is in context I believe is another way of understanding this uh, verse 18 in Luke chapter 10 and when Jesus said I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven I think what he was saying is yeah you're out there casting demons out and I'm witnessing the toppling of Satan's kingdom." You're gaining ground, you're cleaning house, you're, you're casting demons out, and in the spirit, I'm watching him fall from heaven. Uh, I don't believe this is a reference to uh, any original fall. Uh, I, certainly, it can't be a reference to Satan being a beautiful angel, because that term is never even used. So I think it's a, a little out of context to suggest that this verse supports the idea that Satan was once uh, a beautiful angel. Now, this leaves us with one final passage to take a look at, and that is in uh, Revelation chapter 12. Um, it begins in around verse 3. Now, this is, of course, John on the island of Patmos. He has uh, a long and very complicated vision, and he's recording this vision. And in verse 3, he says he sees a sign in heaven, and he, and he sees a great fiery red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on his heads. Uh, a rather bizarre image that he sees here. And this dragon, which he does identify as Satan. Now, we know now he is talking about Satan. Verse 9 says, So, so the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan. So there, there can be no question about it. This is Satan. Now we know this is about Satan in Revelation chapter 12. And in verse 4, he takes his tail and he throws a third of the stars of heaven down to the earth. Um, and then he eventually makes war, n- not just with the woman to give birth, but also the child that she gives birth to, and eventually the faithful. It seems like there's a, well, first of all, with the angels in heaven, there's a war that breaks out. So what does all this mean? And and those who believe that Satan was once an angel point out this is a description of his fall to the earth. Uh, there was a war, and he was cast out. Now, of course, again, this says nothing about if this is that story, it tells us nothing about Satan's desire to be like God. It doesn't say anything about him being beautiful. It doesn't say it actually doesn't even say anything about him being an angel. He starts out in this vision as a dragon, um, and, and and not an angel. So it's it's not completely descriptive if if that's what it's trying to describe to us. It sort of shortchanges us a little bit. But let's assume that that could be the case. Well, what does it mean? Well, verse 4, he takes his tail and he throws a third of the stars um, from heaven down. And many believe that this is a reference to angels, that he takes a third of the angels and they go with him. Now, maybe this is the case. Um, you know, It's possible that stars are angels here. But there is another way of understanding this passage. In the book of Daniel, in, in chapter 8, Daniel has a vision, and in this vision he sees a, uh, a goat who has some strange horns. And one of these horns really begins to cause some trouble, and it, and it, uh, it became very great. And in verse 10 it says that it, it cast down some of the hosts and of the stars to the ground and stomped upon them. Now, um, I'm going to suggest to you, and you probably already know this, that the book of Revelation is a highly symbolic book. John had a vision. The vision is complex and its understanding is difficult because of the complexity of the language here. Oftentimes, he uses very uh, figurative language to describe something that is literally true. For example, uh, he describes Jesus once as a, a lamb with uh, seven eyes. Well, Jesus isn't a lamb. He's he's a man. Uh, but this is this this the symbolism that's just sort of um, embedded into the book of Revelation. And Revelation uh, draws a lot from the book of daniel as we find some similarities in the book of revelation and um in in daniel chapter 8 this this horn that begins to cast out stars i know um, many bible scholars um suspect based on the information there that this is a reference to antiochus epiphanes who existed prior to the time of jesus during the time of the maccabees and um he waged war not with angels, but with um, the believers, with Jewish believers, the Jewish remnant, the faithful to God. And that this reference to a stomping on the stars is not a stomping on angels, but really a, a stomping down or a. Um, a persecution against believers, against the the believing remnant that God had in Israel. Now, if we take that understanding, and I'm not saying it has to be that, but if we take that understanding and import that to Revelation chapter 12, which is not unreasonable, it's very possible that this tale of the dragon was uh, not casting down um, uh, angels. But it's possible that this is a reference, borrowing from Daniel once again, which the Book of Revelation does, uh, to a war against the faithful people. Now, again, I'm suggesting that as a possibility. I'm not insisting at as uh, I'm not insisting that it is the understanding. just that one of the possibilities, and it's a reasonable possibility, which means that to assume anything else we'd have, or to say that it's anything else, we'd have to um, uh, uh, disregard all other, or prove that all other reasonable possibilities are, are, are not the explanation. Um, but what, what's also interesting from this passage here is in verse 9, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, as the devil, Satan, this dragon, is cast down to the earth, and his angels were cast with them. Now, we don't know if this casting down is a reference to his origins and his and, and and his beginning as the devil. As I already pointed out, he starts out in this passage as the devil. He doesn't start out as an angel. Or if it's something else. And I'm going to suggest to you that there could be another way of understanding this, this passage. In John chapter 12, as Jesus was drawing very near the cross... Um, you know, his purpose for coming, he says in verse 31, this is John chapter 12, verse 31, now, meaning the present time where he was speaking at that moment, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Cast out is the same phrase that John, who's the same author as the gospel of John, as the book of Revelation, the same way that John in Revelation describes the devil, uh, and here Jesus is the ruler of this world, and I believe m- most everyone understands that as beaten, being Satan himself. So Jesus describes Satan being cast out as a reference to his cross. And we know that because in verse 33, he said, This, he said, signifying by what death he would die. So Jesus was talking about the cross. He was talking about what he was going to do at the cross. And as a result, this was the moment that Satan was to be Cast, and I believe that fits with the book of Revelation, because as Satan is cast out in Revelation 12, verse 9, the next verse, 10, John said, I heard a loud voice saying, Heaven, now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. When? Now, at the casting out. And so the language is so strikingly similar to John chapter 12 that I can't help but believe that this is not um, a reference to Satan's origin, but I believe it's a reference to the struggle uh, between uh, Satan and Christ himself here, and his casting out is a reference to the work of the cross and what happened there. Now, if this is the case, as I've already suggested to you, then these four passages, which typically are used to prove that Satan was an angel, may not prove that point at all and i want to make this clear i'm not saying that satan wasn't an angel who was cast out of heaven maybe he was all that i'm trying to say is the bible doesn't tell us that's the case let me repeat that because i I know someone will still misunderstand what i'm saying i'm not saying that satan wasn't an angel cast out of heaven I'm just saying the Bible doesn't tell us that that's the case now if you disagree with me then point out where the Bible does say that Satan was an angel cast out of heaven and I'm willing to listen I'm willing to entertain any other ideas I just don't know of any passages which teach that that. Well, I hope I haven't confused you. I hope I haven't infuriated you. Uh, I hope I haven't, uh, you know, made you too upset with this. And again, I don't know why. When I learned this first from Steve Gregg, um, I wasn't mad. I was kind of intrigued by it. And I looked um, to check it myself. And I had to say, you know what? I can't find the convention of you. So I've got to go with where the Bible takes me. But that's me. You do what you want to with this. And I hope to see you next time on the Thinking Crit Podcast.